The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. It's been read for us. Uh, So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. So if you have your Bible, uh, I will be projecting the text that I'm speaking about onto the screen. Obviously, it's a massive chapter, and I'd love to go word by word, but... That's not what we're going to be doing this morning, so I will project the text that I'm speaking about up onto the screen. So, without further ado, let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to uh, gather here. We're grateful for the technology that allows us to meet remotely as well, and that even if we can't uh, be in each other's presence, we can still connect around the idea of loving you together. Uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but in our missional communities. And I'm thankful uh, for the support that we find there, uh, for friends, uh, for people who love us, and people who care about our growth and our health. And uh, we do thank you for these things. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that uh, throughout the centuries you have preserved it. And not just preserved it, but uh, have allowed us to translate it so that we can understand you, that we can understand it and understand our lives and our world and the purposes that you've called us to. Uh, It is a gift, and we do acknowledge it from your hand. And God, as we engage this text today, uh, we can only uh, hear and only see and only experience the text where we are, and we need your Spirit to empower us to to hear what you're saying to us. And I pray for each of us in this time that that your word would be living and active, that it would uh, resonate with us, that there would be something here for each of us, uh, not just to learn about you, but uh, to carry into our week as we try to live uh, faithfully before you, even in our exile. Bless us to that end, we pray. Amen. So before diving into today's passage, uh, we're in Daniel chapter 6, arguably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You've got the uh, Daniel in the lion's den. I can't quite recall if that's one of the ones that got vegetalized or not, but uh, I I see a thumbs up there, so so perhaps it was. Um, But arguably one of the most famous. But before we dive into the passage, I'd actually like to take a step back. Uh, from the entire book of Daniel itself and just talk about exile. Um, As we've been listening to Daniel over these weeks, we've been talking about the pilgrim life, about living faithfully before God in a pagan land. Um, And the need for such reflection is just becoming uh, more and more obvious to me, both um, on the macro level, right? You've got a global pandemic uh, with all of its social and economic ramifications. We're trying to navigate what I believe to be a toxic political culture. So we're trying to engage faithful living on the macro level and in the big, the big uh, scale. But we're also trying on the micro level to live faithfully uh, before God in our lives, to love our neighbors, as Mike was praying, to bear faithful witness uh, in the community that God has called us to, uh, to love our families well, to be on mission for Jesus. In each of our unique circumstances, each of us comes 
with a different set of experiences, a different uh, way that God has called us, a different way that God's gifted and equipped and, and ways that he's placed us. And we're all just trying to live that out. So we're thinking about exile, uh, oh, faithful living in exile, both on the big scale and on the small scale. And sometimes we need reminders that we're in exile, uh, that global society is corrupt, uh, that we live in a fallen world, and that the problem isn't just out there, right? The problem is, is also in here redeemed by Jesus and being renewed by Jesus, we still uh, struggle with the tension of living faithfully, of knowing that we're called by God, of knowing that we're redeemed by God and we're being renewed day by day, but we're not quite there yet. We still experience the effects of the fall. And even amid struggling with all these tensions, I think that reflecting on the book of Daniel is a wonderful opportunity to just vigorously renew the Bible's call to living faithfully in exile. So I wanted to start out with just a few references from the book of Jeremiah, one of which we've seen already, which are prophetic words to the Israelites before they go into exile that instruct them on the type of life that they should live while they're being punished for their sin, but also looking forward with hope to the day that God is going to deliver them from exile. So on the screen, uh, if you can see it, we're in Jeremiah 24, verses 4 to 7. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So I'll just pause there for, for one biblical reflection, one not so biblical reflection. Uh, one being where it says at the end of verse six, do not decrease. You can hear echoes of Genesis there. Be fruitful and multiply. So even in exile, the call and commission of creation hasn't stopped. It's not like God has thrown the brakes on it while he's developing plan B. He just, you guys go wait in Babylon for 70 years. I'm just going to try to figure this thing out. No, blessing to the nations, the promise to Abraham, all this stuff still, still goes on. The other thing I would add, which isn't a biblical reflection, but is one that is selfish, uh, is where it says plant gardens, eat their produce, the whole thing is about living your life in exile so that even though you're not home, you're going to keep living your life. And one of the things that has brought me so much joy this week, there are a lot of you participating in Inktober, which I literally did not know was a thing until this year. And I just want to say that part of faithful living in exile is to engage in things like that. And I am finding uh, personally so much satisfaction in looking at people's sketches. Like, it seems a little bit weird, I admit, but in the midst of really stressful uh, personal and work circumstances, I'm looking for things to be joyful about and grateful for. And uh, for those of you that are participating in that, I don't want to list out the names because I don't want to leave anybody out, but I love uh, looking at your sketches, so please. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a biblical mandate, but for <laughs> just for me. <laughs> Continue with, with Inktober. I really, I love seeing that stuff. But anyway, back to the text. Um, what 
Jeremiah is telling us here is that even in the midst of exile, you're still going to live. Uh, you're still going to live your life. Could we go back one? Yeah. Just the last verse, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what Jeremiah is telling them to do is to live faithfully even in Babylon because as they have been sent into exile to pray for the Lord on behalf of the city that they're in, it will be uh, the city's welfare as well as their own. So that that prophetic word looks forward to when they will be in exile. It's instructing them how to live in exile. The next slide, there we go, sort of looks with hope for a day that's coming where uh, it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So it isn't just that they're called to live faithfully in Babylon. They're supposed to live in hope for a day that's coming when they will return from exile. Um, and I, I will avoid any... Uh, the, the last part there, um, for I know the plans I have for you, is actually about exile, uh, perhaps more than high school or college graduations. But that's the basis of the promise, right? That God is, um, he's sending them into exile. There's no two ways about it. They're being punished for their sin. They're going for 70 years. It's inevitable. But they're called to live their lives faithfully in the midst of that, and also to look with hope to the future. So this was God's intention for Israel as they were in exile, being punished for their sin uh, and being called to live still as God's people, even though they're in a pagan land. And now shifting gears a little bit and turning back to Daniel, this is actually one of the few books that we have from their exile. So Daniel's life, and I would say ministry, are a beautiful reflection of what Jeremiah says what God commands and what he desires for them in exile. To remain faithful to him, even among the hostility of the world that they're in. And not just that, more constructively, to actually bless the place and the people where they're living in exile. So it's not just them doing time in Babylon and trying not to sin further that their punishment increase. That's just so low level. And I guess for those of you coming out of certain backgrounds, um, and I'll say for those of you who don't know me, I didn't grow up in the church, but it seems like a lot of time the Christian ethic is taught as don't, don't, don't. So it's all avoidance, right? As long as you don't get tainted by the world, uh, you're, you're going to be okay. James says that, certainly, but more than that is actually to go steps further to actually be a blessing to the people around you. And I think that's what God has for us, not just as individuals, but as, as a church here and uh, collectively as Christians, that we're meant to go beyond that, uh, to live faithfully in exile, to not be corrupted by the world, but to be a blessing. Which brings me to my main point for today's passage. 
Faithful living in exile is a blessing to the nations. I think that's what we've seen so far in Daniel, and I think that's what we're going to continue to see throughout the rest of the book of Daniel. Though after today, uh, if you've read Daniel, you know what's coming. Uh, There's something of a sharp turn in an apocalyptic direction, and I'm glad to be standing before you now preaching uh, Daniel 6, and not a week from now teaching Daniel 7, which uh, is one of one of the trickier uh, passages. But you're going to start to see some more sort of cryptic, apocalyptic sorts of things. Um, but we're going to continue to see this idea that faithful living in exile is a blessing to the nations. So as we turn to the story of Daniel and the lion's den, uh, Rahana has read it for us. So we're not going to read the passage again. And I'm not going to preach every single uh, section of uh, Daniel 6. So there's a couple key things I'm going to just focus on. Uh, I'll talk about certain specific verses. I'm happy to have you engage me in conversation over the other things. But the story is, I think, transparently obvious. What I'd like to tease out is where do we see faithful living and how does this, uh, how does this call us uh, to more, uh, certainly, but where do we see God at work in this passage, and how can that affect how we engage our world tomorrow uh, and moving forward after that? So my three points very simply are, first, I want to look at Daniel's reputation. Second, I want to look at Daniel's orientation. Note the clever use of the suffix I-O-N. And then the third is uh, Daniel's vindication. Um, and I wanted to throw it just to be oppositional, like throw one in there that didn't fit that, but I... I decided to do what the grown-ups do and just just do it. Okay. So anyway, uh, these are my three points. Uh, first, as we look at the beginning of the chapter, I want to focus on Daniel's reputation. Uh, by this point, we've seen that Daniel has served under two Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and last week we heard about Belshazzar. Admittedly, he served for less time under Belshazzar, if you remember the chapter. Belshazzar didn't last a very long time. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar seemed to have a nice long reign, minus those years where he was uh, insane out in the, the wilderness. But Daniel has served under two Babylonian kings, and he's now serving under Darius the Mede. Um, and in each of these cases, Daniel's reputation is impeccable. And I was talking with David yesterday, and he reminded me of uh, last week's passage where even the queen says to Bel- Belteshazzar, no, it's, well, which one is it? Belshazzar, sorry. Did I say the wrong one? I get those confused. Belteshazzar and Belshazzar, they're, one's Daniel, one's the king who didn't last very long. They're very different people, um, but only slightly different in name. But anyway, David reminded me yesterday of Belshazzar's wife, the queen, who looks favorably on Daniel um, and knows did it sound like I was saying that David reminded me of the queen? Because I, as I said, I'm like, wow, that didn't really come out the way that I meant it to. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus now. Um, so anyway, uh, Daniel is looked favorably upon by the queen. And in the midst of all that, she's the one who advises, you need to listen to this guy. And we see that all throughout uh, the book of Daniel. And at this point, Daniel has a long track record of faithfulness living out what Jeremiah told the exiles to seek the prosperity of the city in which they are in exile. And to do so with integrity is such a rare thing. 
And as somebody who didn't grow up in the church and didn't really grow up reading the Bible, Daniel has always stuck out to me as somebody who you can't seem to find fault in him. And you, you read the Bible and you, you even, you've got David, you've got Abraham, you've got San, all of these particular, I mean, you're, you're hard pressed to find a lot of people who are living out their calling faithfully. And Daniel, at the highest levels of political power of his day, is uncorrupted by it. Like, it's such a rare thing in the Bible and such a gift. But let's just look uh, quickly at Daniel's reputation. Verse 3 says, an excellent spirit was in him. Verse 4 says, then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. I'm going to pause there for one second. It doesn't necessarily just mean religiously faithful, and this is where the Bible's vision is much more integrated. It's faithfulness to God, it's faithfulness to people, it's faithfulness to his position. It's all one thing, right? It's not like, well, Daniel went to church on Sunday and then, you know, took people for a ride the rest of the week trying to gain for himself financially. It's not like he's living a double life. It just says he was faithful. Um, And what that means is who he is in one area of his life is who he is in every area of his life. That's integrity. That's integrated. Um, Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, uh, and this is the kicker, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, this happens before. If we skip ahead, uh, just to continue commenting on Daniel's reputation, after the law passes and the prayer is forbidden, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this, the advisors to the king kind of trip him up in his words. Um, Verse 14 says, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. That speaks to Daniel's reputation. And it didn't occur to me until Rahana was reading it that they have the king basically say, This is the law that I passed so that they can trip him up in his words. And as soon as he hears that Daniel has done these things, it's the law that's wrong and not Daniel. So the king immediately recognizes the flaw in the injunction that he had passed. He doesn't try to defend it. He's immediately grieved that Daniel is caught up in this. And I think that, again, that speaks to Daniel's reputation. So these are verses that that speak to that. Now, when we add to this uh, the jealousy of the other advisors to the king, we see that reputation doesn't mean that Daniel is universally liked. Um, And even this uh, shows something more and perhaps even greater about Daniel's reputation. And this is, to me, both one of the high points of the passage and one of the absolute low points of the passage. They know that the only way to trip him up is to expose and twist his faithfulness to his God. So that is, to me, the highest point of Daniel's reputation, and it is the lowest possible point for these advisors to the king. That 
the only way that you can sort of get somebody is to trip them up based on their integrity. Uh, it, it's, it's a low point, at least in my mind. But imagine that being your reputation. Daniel is above reproach in every area of his life, so they actually have to twist religion because they know that Daniel won't act unfaithfully to his God, that this is going to be the area where we trip him up. Now, why reflect on this? Because I think that life lived faithfully before God is compelling. And I would even add that the way that Daniel goes about all this makes it even more compelling. And I'm not trying in this to make much of Daniel. That's not my point. But I do think that we need to have compelling examples of godly behavior. That what does it mean to live faithfully before God? I have like, you know, three or four people that rush to mind in terms of that's what it looks like. Because we need concrete examples, right? Uh, not literally concrete, but you know what I mean? Like, you have to be able to picture somebody um, to, see, to see what it looks like. Now, God is obviously with Daniel. He is blessing the work of Daniel. He's giving him influence. He's causing him to prosper. He's guiding his steps. And as we look at the text themselves, Daniel is never putting himself forward in a self-exalting, self-promoting way. To return to our main point, that faithful living in exile is a blessing to the nation, it's clear that Daniel's reputation, cultivated over a long period of time, we're talking multiple kings, we'll get to chapter 9 in a couple weeks, where we'll see that decades have gone by where Daniel um, is actually starting to look to the end of exile, which is 70 years. But he's cultivated this reputation over a long period of time, and he has been and will continue to be a blessing to those rulers while the Israelites remain an example. So why reflect on this? Because I just think it's a compelling example that this is somebody that you can look to as a mile marker. And not just that he lived his life faithfully, but again, he's at the highest level of political power of his day and he's uncorrupted by it. It's just amazing. And I'm gonna, we're going to keep talking about this as we go. So we've looked at Daniel's reputation. Second, I want to look at Daniel's orientation. And here, we're going to look at verse 10. So the advisors to the king, they manipulate Darius into signing the law that nobody can pray to any god but him for 30 days. And there's no evidence in the text itself that makes it look like Darius actually wants this or cares about it. Like, it's not like Nebuchadnezzar, who seems really enamored of the idea of people worshiping his statue. Um, but they're manipulating him in order to, to trip up Daniel. They want Daniel out of there. They're going to manipulate him, and they use consensus to do it. So they'll say, like, well, everybody agrees that nobody should pray to any god for 30 days, which makes one wonder, well, why is it just 30 days if the king is so great. Like, shouldn't it just be all the time? Like, no, it's, we just need 30 days to catch Daniel, and then, then the prohibition can go away. But anyway, um, their manipulation is based on this uh, consensus. And what this verse says is that following uh, that manip the manipulation, Daniel just went to his house. And this, I'm going to keep talking about it. I just think it's, it's really compelling stuff. There's no evidence that he fought that he lobbied, that he started a petition on change.org, that he took to Facebook to decry the violation of his individual rights, 
and or government overreach. There's no evidence of that at all. He simply went to his house and did what he does. Now, personally, this is my kind of defiance. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a, a defiant person by nature, but I go back to Daniel 3 with uh, Ananiah, Hazariah, Azariah, Mishael, when they decide, like, well, we're not doing what you want us to do. Like, you can throw us in there. God can save us. Maybe he won't. We don't know, but we're not doing it. Like, that, to me, is actually the Bible's vision of defiance. Fast forward to Revelation 12, where it says they overcame, God's people overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, loving not their own lives even unto death. That's defiance. Not clinging to your rights, Daniel doesn't do that. And I'm not trying to get into a political argument about it. I'm just citing a couple examples in the Bible where it's just a quiet defiance. You're not going to tell me what to do. That's it. I'm going to go do what I do, and we'll see. He gets into it a little bit later. It's the same thing in the New Testament, um, that, that that's a healthy a healthy sort of defiance. We see it with Daniel's friends into the fiery furnace. We're not going to bow the knee to this statue. You can do to us what you want. And they accept those consequences. They don't flee. They don't fight. They go with it. Uh, same thing with believers in the New Testament period. What do you do with people like that? Like, they, go ahead. Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, gets crucified upside down because he doesn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. All of them, except for John, I believe, were martyred in some way. Like, what do you do with that kind of movement? You have nothing to hold over them. You have no power. And in this case here, you have no power over Daniel uh, because he's just going to defy the order. He doesn't cling to his rights. He does it in a way that's faithful to God and isn't pushy. Um, and what also I find to be really interesting, and it might just be a small point, but when he prays, there's a small little detail here that <laughs> my kids are probably sick of hearing me talk about. He opened the windows in his upper room toward Jerusalem. When he prays, he faces home. So for all the decades that have gone by, Daniel recognizes that he is not Babylonian. I do not belong here. I can live my life faithfully here. I can influence power at the highest levels, but I do not live here. And he opens his window to face Jerusalem. <laughs> In a somewhat, uh, I would say embarrassing example, but it's not. I think of uh, the men of Gondor. I, I think it's called uh, silence standing or standing silence when in Tolkien's universe, which I, I, I wish I knew this. I'm pretty sure that Tolkien would have based it on this. They stand and they face west and they face Numenor uh, and they face even further the, where the Valar come from. And it's basically what they do before meals. It's grace, right? They they pray before the meal. They stand and they face west as a reminder of where they come from and where they really come from. Um, so it's, it's a similar sort of idea. So he faces home. So Daniel's secret 
and I put that in quotes, his secret is not his diet. Uh, it's actually his orientation toward God. Despite the fact that, again, Daniel has functioned at the highest level of powers, he's influenced kings, he's had every opportunity to seize power and to go native in Babylon, more than anybody probably. Um, he doesn't give his allegiance to, to the state. He just keeps going, and he keeps doing what he's been doing his entire life. Daniel never forgets who he is, he never forgets where he's from, and he never forgets who God is. And if you want another uh, biblical example, I don't have the slide on this, it's Psalm 137, where the psalmist basically says, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? That they never give their heart over to being in Babylon, even though they're there in punishment. So when Daniel prays, he faces home. And the last little phrase here at the end, as he's done previously. So this isn't a new thing for Daniel. Um, it's not oppositional in the sense that he's just going to pray for spite now. Like, the government told me I can't, so now I'm going to go do it. Like, it's, he's just continuing his normal practice. So the government decree, in a certain sense, it doesn't matter because it's not the government's thing to control anyway, right? They don't give him the right and they can't take it away from him. Much the same as it was in Daniel 3, right? The government doesn't have the power to confer upon us these rights, which means they also don't have the right to take it away. We don't have to fight for them. We just don't have to acknowledge, I think, the legitimacy in the first place, if that makes sense. It's never the government's right to tell you that you can pray, right? So I don't acknowledge its legitimacy at the start. It's not your authority to give. So if you try to take it away, I never acknowledged your legitimacy in the first place. So I don't accept this either. Um, so anyway, enough of that. So the second is his orientation, that Daniel is uh, both literally and figuratively facing home. And for us, I don't know what we do with that other than cultivate these ways of remembering that we are here we can live faithfully, but ultimately we don't give our hearts over to these systems. That we can fight politically, we can do that, but we don't have to give our allegiance to them. So that's Daniel's orientation. And then finally, uh, let's look at Daniel's vindication. So it doesn't seem to me that Daniel opens his window to antagonize or provoke them. Uh, but it certainly becomes the cause for his collision with power. And you've got these um, skulking creeps who are just watching in order to trip him up. Uh, and I say it that way because it's just so low. Like the whole thing is just, is just low. So the advisors, uh, the manipulation becomes complete when they present this to the king. So they're watching Daniel. He opens his window. They can. See, I mean, I don't know what the particulars there are, but they're definitely uh, in agreement, I think the passage says, to find ways to trip him up. There is, of course, the irony uh, that they feel the king is powerful enough that they should pray to him, but not powerful enough that he can overturn the decree. Um, but he tried. And in another compelling turn of events, the king actually stays up all night fasting. He can't sleep. Like, he's so disturbed by the fate that awaits Daniel that he, um, he fasts on Daniel's behalf. Like, talk about influence. 
I think this shows that Darius, unlike uh, Belshazzar, he's tender-hearted, he's not arrogant, arrogant, and in this case, I think he's just a victim of corrupt advisors, right? That just, they're just trying to trip him up. He signs on because there's consensus, but I think that he is tender-hearted. But let's look uh, finally at Daniel's vindication. Um, he goes into the lion's den, and he continues this idea of it's just quietness, right? It's just this confidence that he has that, well, I'm going in. doesn't matter. I don't have to fight it. I don't have to wait for some last-minute reprieve from the Supreme Court. This is, this is what faithfulness got me, and God is in control of this. Like, just that, that confidence is just so winsome. Um, so he goes in, and he survives the night. We all know the story, right? And then I'll, I'll, I'll skip over some of the less pleasant parts because you can, you can read it for yourself. Uh, he, he's delivered, um, and then those who maliciously accused him, uh, they meet the same fate that they tried to give Daniel. So Daniel's vindicated in multiple ways. First, he survives the lions. Uh, because, in his own words, he's blameless before God and he's blameless before the king. That's what he says. Second, he's vindicated that these corrupt advisors are exposed for what they are, and they're ultimately judged. And I don't know what everybody's category for that is, but that is part of vindication. Um, is not just that you are shown to be in the right, but those who maliciously accused you are shown to be in the wrong as well and they're judged for it. And third, uh, King Darius issues another decree, and this time he is exalting Daniel's God. So to return uh, finally to the main point, that faithful living in exile is a blessing to the nations, we see that God's grace and power, in God's grace and power, even the faithful individual has a profound impact, even in a pagan land. And as we think about mission, as we think about the nations, we're not just talking geopolitically or other, other sorts of things. As we go out into our places of work, into the spheres of influence that God has given us, wherever that might be, right? Everybody here is in a different spot for sure. But as we go into those places, we are following the same God that Daniel did. And we can follow in the same way, faithful to the mission, faithful to God, influential in those contexts and being a blessing to the people that we interact with. We are certainly going to collide with uh, corrupt systems, and that's expected. Daniel experienced that himself, but I hope that as we've talked about uh, this, you, you can see in your mind that Daniel's life is one of mission and that he is just a great picture of somebody who is faithful to God in exile, who continues to give his heart to the Lord, but is also influential and well thought of by the people of his day. So I can think of no better way to end today's sermon than with the words of Darius. Uh, it's the end of the chapter. It's a profound reflection on the character of God issued to all who dwell on the earth. And I'll end it with this and then pray. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. 
His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.